It's great to see you here this morning. Good to be in church. Uh, Shortly, we're going to spend a little bit of time. We're going to give you some space to engage God, give you some space to connect in with God a little bit further. Uh, But as many of you would be aware, hopefully all of us, we are one week into our prayer and fasting. Look at that. It's very exciting. You haven't fainted and you've made it to church this morning. You didn't kind of have a fainting spell because of your week with hunger. Uh, it's great that you're here. Um, whether you're here in the building or online with us, we're glad that you could be with us. How many of you, how many of you are, are doing the Daniel fast? Give us a wave if you're doing the Daniel fast. Yeah. See, I used to full fast, and I'll do that for small patches. And then I started the Daniel fast. I thought, oh, gee, that's really kind of copping out, you know. And then after two days of eating vegetables, I found out it's not copping out. Yeah, at that point, it's like, oh, Jesus, thank you for meat. <laughs> How many of you are fasting uh, a meal a day? You give us a wave, a meal or two meals a day, something like that. Oh, like, great, fantastic. Maybe if you're online, you want to just pop in the chat there what you're fasting, because I think that would be interesting. Who's actually fasting social media? Oh, that's it. I just naturally looked over in this area. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe that's because that's where a lot of our young people sit. But you don't have to be young to have to fast social media. Anybody, anybody fasting television? Give us a wave of fasting television. That's fabulous. Okay, I'm half fasting television. Okay, that's good. That's all right. Because I think if we actually half fasted television and spent that time praying, my goodness, our prayer life would, would just rock, wouldn't it? Like, how much television do we watch? Well, this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about prayer. It's funny because prayer is, is, is really the foundation of the Christian faith. Like, it's such a cornerstone of, uh, of the Christian faith, and yet we don't talk about it as much compared to how much of a cornerstone it really is. I'm going to start today with a bit of a pop quiz, but I don't want you to answer the question out loud. Let me just, I've got three questions for you. Let me throw them at you. Number one, in terms of dedicated prayer, not I pray all day. I pray when I'm driving, not I pray when I'm doing other stuff, but actual dedicated prayer. How much time do you spend with God each time you pray? A, an hour or more. B, 30 to 50 minutes. C, 10 to, 30, oh, 10 to 29 minutes. Because I know if you're a technical person, that will just mess with your head. And D, less than 10 minutes. Think about that, A, B, C, or D. Question two, you can see why I haven't got you to raise your hand and actually answer. In terms of days per week, how many days would you pray? A, every day. B, five or six days a week. C, three or four days a week. Or D, less than three days a week. The room's very quiet. And question three, in your prayer life, how much of it is relational and not just needs-based? Okay, so not just, oh God, I need this and I need that and I need this and oh, please help me find a car park at the supermarket today. (laughs) Which is a very valid prayer, might I say, okay? But how much of your prayer life is not just needs-based but actually relational? A, more than 70% of your prayer life is relational. B, Somewhere between half and three quarters is relational. C, 
30 to 50% is relational, or D, less than 30% of your prayer life is relational. Don't answer those questions out loud, but do you have answers in your head, yeah? Yeah, Yeah? okay, that's good. After answering those questions honestly, this is where I do want you to raise your hand. I want to know how many of you would raise your hands because you felt convicted, guilty, or just, I reckon I can do better than that. How many of you felt like that? Okay, quite a number of us. The other ones have their arms painted on. That's good. (laughs) The truth is that most of us would recognize our prayer life to be a bit of a struggle at times. Sometimes it's just smooth and it rocks, and sometimes it's like walking over rocks. You you understand? Like it's just, it's always a little bit of a struggle. And can I just say, if you weren't happy with the way that you answered and you felt a little bit like, oh, you know, yeah, I do struggle and I feel a bit bad about that, don't feel too bad. You're not alone. And as you can see, not just this room here, but also beyond that, if you look at Luke chapter 11, When the disciples came to Jesus, they didn't say to him, teach us how to raise the dead. It's not what they asked for. (laughs) Teach us how to walk on water. That's not what they said. They've been with Jesus for 11 whole chapters. And the best they could muster is, teach us to pray. Okay, so look, even the disciples struggled in that space as well. In the middle of our prayer and fasting, I just want to take a little bit of time to maybe give you a slightly different perspective around prayer. And it's one that has helped me a lot. This kind of shifted my thinking around prayer. And to be honest, it's helped me in terms of my prayer life and it's caused me to approach my prayer life a little bit differently. Hopefully it will do the same for you. And the way that I want to do that is I I want us to think about prayer in two ways. They may be a little bit different to what you're used to, but hold your stones, don't throw them yet. Wait until the end of the service, if that's okay. That gives me time to run away. The first one is this. Prayer is the conversation in the boardroom of heaven between business partners. Prayer is the conversation in the boardroom of heaven between business partners. You know, time and time again, if you... Look in Scripture, God longs to bring man into the conversation about eternal things. It's God's desire. He longs to bring bring humanity into that conversation, to bring us into the place of talking with Him, of reasoning with Him, of working things out with Him, of coming to a place of, come on, let's discuss this together. Like a father that wants to have an intelligent conversation with their child about their career or about their future. You know, you're thinking about uni, son? You know, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking for your future? A, f- a father that wants, to, that wants to have that conversation and, and start to kind of work, not just tells the, the child, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to do this, but actually wants to have this conversation. God similarly wants to do the same with us. And it's throughout Scripture. Let me, let me give you a couple of instances of, of God's desire for this. In John chapter 15, verse 15, many of us know this Scripture. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, just hold up for a second there. This is Jesus speaking. God made flesh. 
Yeah? Jesus, the creator of the universe, in him everything exists, through him everything was made, without him nothing was made. And Jesus comes and calls this bumbling group of flotsam and jetsam friends. He calls them friends. And look at his reasoning behind it. Because friends know what friends are thinking. But servants don't know what masters are thinking. Friends know what friends are thinking. In other words, Jesus was trying to get them to understand that he was trying to bring them in. He had brought them in on the inner circle. He had brought them into that place, into the boardroom of heaven, the place decisions are made. He's explaining how things are going to work. He's explaining why it must be this way. He's explaining about the times and the seasons. Why is he doing this? Because he knows in the future, these guys are going to be a part of that decision-making process, this eternal decision-making process. It's his heart to draw man into that space. Let's continue in verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In fact, let me read it a little bit differently. You can see it up there. But let me read it a little bit differently. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I don't know if you saw what I just did there. He skipped a bit of scripture. Get the rocks. Not yet. It's because this particular, this particular verse, Jesus is saying, I've chosen you for this and for that. I've chosen you so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will remain. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I have chosen you to bear fruit. That's one thing he's chosen you for. But I have chosen you so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You have been chosen to ask the Father for stuff and he will do it for you. You've been chosen for that. You've been chosen to have that conversation. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, not only do you know what I'm thinking, not only do you get to have, to get, to get to have insight into what it is that's going on, but you get input And you can ask my father to do things in my name and my father will have your back. He'll come through in that space. You get to come into the boardroom of heaven and be part of shaping eternal decisions. How good is that? In the Old Testament, we look at the relationship God had with Abraham and it's throughout that Old Testament. uh, Abraham's called the friend of God. We look at that relationship, and if you look at Genesis 18, this one particular instance where Abraham reasons with God around the destruction of Sodom. God's coming, and he's going to destroy Sodom because of its, its unrighteousness, because of how bad it really is. And in verse 17 and 18, it says, The Lord said of Genesis 18, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Shall I hide this from Abraham? He didn't want to hide it from Abraham. His friend. God wants to bring Abraham into the boardroom of heaven to explain to him what he's going to do. But if you keep reading in that chapter, then you see Abraham gets to participate in this divine plan. Because he comes back to God. And he says, look, I know I'm you know, not one to really be able to say much, and you're God and I'm not, and, and that's okay. I'm just wondering, would you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? 
Like, would you destroy the city if there were 50 righteous people in it? No, no, I wouldn't destroy the city. Well, look, I, you know, I don't want to harp on it or nothing. But what about, what if we, you know, like we couldn't find that last five? What if there was 45? Oh, well, you know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But what about 40? 40? 30? Do I hear 20? And at the very end, he comes and he says, look, I know I've pressed my luck a little bit here. And I know I've got no right to ask anything or to say anything, but I'm just wondering, if there were only 10, how would you go? What would you do? And Abraham, in the boardroom of heaven, gets to shape God's response as to how it is he deals in terms of Sodom. Think about it. God desires to bring you into that boardroom and have that conversation. In Isaiah chapter 1, and I don't have time to read it, but you've got to read the message version. Like, it is awesome. It is just such a great version. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but write it down and read it afterwards. It's fantastic. But God is speaking to rebellious Israel, an unjust, unfaithful, and in fact, a corrupt people. A people that, that have gone their own way, a, a, a people that have, that have walked away from God and yet still hold to the form, still hold to the ceremony, still do their religious stuff. And God says, I'm sick of your meetings. I'm sick of your church meetings. I'm sick of your prayer meetings. I'm sick of all this stuff that you do. There is nothing in it. I've had enough. I'm just sick of it all. And he tells them, I'm so sick of you. I'm bored in your meetings. I sit in your meetings bored and I don't want to come anymore. In fact, when you pray, I'm not even going to hear you anymore. You have blood on your hands. You have gone from the oppressed to the oppressor. You now oppress other nations. You do not represent me anymore. I am sick of what I see. You make me feel unwell. And as he comes to the climax of his message, in verse 18, we expect him to say, I'm done. I'm going to smite you all. That's what I'm ready for. Some smiting. And thus God smoteth all the people. But instead, what do we see as we come to the climax of this message? In verse 18, he says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There are two powerful parts of this verse. The first powerful part is the fact that they've done all this stuff and he's going to forgive them. He's, it, it, it speaks of the forgiveness of God, the, the long-suffering of God, his desire to draw us back into a relationship. But can I say the other amazing part of this verse is, come now, let us reason together. Okay. To start with, God doesn't have to reason with us at all because he's God. But my little pea brain gets even more blown away when I think to myself, why would you reason with a sinful person? Why would you reason with a sinful nation? I get you reasoned with Abraham. He was the friend of God. You loved him. He was righteous. He was doing all the things he was supposed to do. Eh, mostly. Look, look, at it, look at the last 17 verses. You've taken great pains to let Israel know all the stuff they're doing that you are not happy with. And yet you say, come on, let's talk about it anyway. Let's work this thing out. Come on, we can work this through. He should have just smited us all. But the truth is, 
that's not what he created you for. He didn't create you to smite you. He didn't create you to punish you. He didn't create you to kill you. He created you for relationship with him. He created you that you would be family. He created you to bless you. He created you that you would be the object of his affection. That's why we were created. There are so many different examples in Scripture that point us to being drawn into the boardroom of heaven for input. You know, I... um, Four and a half years ago, we moved to Melbourne. And it was quite an ordeal to get here, to be honest. So we had just finished up at our church in Brisbane. We'd been there for 12 years, a multi-site church. We were pastoring in Brisbane and Toowoomba. We had a campus in both. And we'd been senior pastoring that particular group of people for 12 years and were very attached. Came to the end of that season and felt like it's time. Took a little bit of break and said, God, what do you want to do next? What's the next season for our life, for our family? What's the next season for us? And so when we actually started to seek God around that, Pastor Matt and Franca invited us, hey, why don't you come down, check out Melbourne and, and see what it's like, you know, give it a go, see how you, how you find it. We think, you know, you've got some stuff that might be positive for our church. We think that, you know, you could maybe make a contribution. This could be a God thing. And we had friends in Brisbane who similarly had a great church and said the same thing. Hey, we'd love you to come and, and join. Because we'd made a decision. We wanted to be part of a church that was a bit bigger than we were. So we'd been we'd running a church about six or 700 um, at that point and, and across the two campuses. And, and we wanted something that was a bit bigger that we could give our gifts to that could leverage into more impact for the kingdom. I figured I've got 20 years left of, of uh, before retirement age. I want to make them count. So I want to give it to something that's actually going to really have an impact for the kingdom. And so we went through that and we kind of caught up with both. And to be honest, for, you know, for, on paper, you know, when you do your pros and cons, they're all pretty close. I mean, both of them were friends, long-standing friends. Pastor Matt and Franker and these other guys were friends that we'd had for many, many years. Both of them ran a great church. Both of them had a great vision, wanted to see impact for the kingdom. Both of them we could easily see ourselves in and and thought, you know, um, we connected with both as in people and thought, gee, there are great people in these churches. So, So on paper, it was pretty close. The only real differences was Brisbane, beautiful one day, perfect the next, And Melbourne, four seasons in one day. (laughs) The only difference was uh, in Brisbane, we knew people, we had relationship, our family was there, and we could stay with our family. And in Melbourne, we didn't know anyone. We were starting from scratch and, and, you know, had to start afresh. The difference was Brisbane, you know, we're an hour away from the coast. It was a great time. And Melbourne stole our Grand Prix. Did I not mention that I was from South Australia originally? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I'm not bitter about it now. It took a little while, and I've gotten over it now, but you stole our Grand Prix. That's all. So, but I don't say that in a bitter way. It's just a fact. You stole it from under us. Greatest Grand Prix it was when we first had it. Just saying. Whole city came out for it. It was fabulous. But, you know, it's just one more event on the calendar of Melbourne, you know. Grand Prix, that's right, keep moving on from there. That's right, I remember now. You can see I'm not bitter about it. So, so there was very little differences. And so we prayed and said, God, what do you want us to do? And I said, God, you know, we've, we've played this game before and it's very, very simple. You tell us what you want us to do and we'll do that. We're your faithful servants. We will do what you want us to do. And I felt God just drop into my heart. 
I was talking with Sarah about it, and I just felt God say, you know what? You've been faithful. You've done everything I've called you to do. I want you to choose, and I'm going to bless you. To which my response was, no. <laughs> no. No, 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 God, I don't think you understand. This system's been working very well for the last 40-something years of my life. The reason I've been successful is because you tell me what to do and then I go do it and get most of the credit. Okay, so look, I'm really happy. It ain't broke. Let's not try and fix it. How about you just tell me what you want me to do and I'll just do that. Yeah, let's, let's, go, let's go with that way. I told these guys, give me two weeks. We're going to pray about it and we'll see what God says. Well, by the end of the two weeks, that's all God had said. Like, it's like, and, you know, that was at the beginning. And the rest of the time, like, God, you've got to speak. You've got to speak. And it's like, I reckon I have. I reckon I have spoken. And so we're talking about it. I'm praying it through. Oh, this would work and that would be good and blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the two weeks, I couldn't, like, I, I, we had nothing. And so I said, you've got to give me another week. To, to both Pastor Matt and Franca and to the guys in, in Brisbane. And, and I'm like, God, you have to say something because people are waiting on this decision. And so I, I, I said, you've got to speak to me. After three days, it's like, this is not going to work. I can see this is not going to work. God's just not going to relent. And so I said, this is what we're going to do. I've got an idea, honey. This is what we'll do. We're going to just make a decision. Who's going to pick one? Who's going to pick one? And then we're going to wait for three days. I'm not going to tell anybody, but we're going to see if we get that peace from God or we get buyer's remorse. You know what I'm talking about, buyer's remorse. Ladies, you remember that dress? Looked great in the store. Yeah. yeah. Guys, remember that electronic item that looked fantastic online and then you got it at home? It's like, oh, that's not exactly what I expected. Well, so we're just going to see, buyer's remorse or peace. Well, after 24 hours of making that decision, what are we going to do? Let's do Melbourne. Okay, we're going to do Melbourne. That's it, we're going to do Melbourne. We just decided, just like that. Seemed a bit unspiritual to me, but you know, God wasn't speaking. As good as any. We decided Melbourne. 24 hours, there's this sense of peace. I said, we'll take three days. After two days, it's like, yeah, this is just it. Like, this is what we're going to do. I don't need a third day. We're, we're, you, yep, yep, great, we're in. That's what we're going to do. But let me tell you what I learned out of that in hindsight now. I wanted to be a good servant of God obedient, just serving God as he has called me to. But that's not what God wanted. God actually wanted a friend. God actually wanted to invite me at that point into the boardroom of heaven to have a conversation with him about the eternal plan and the eternal destiny that he had for our lives. He actually wanted to invite me into the boardroom of heaven to reason with him and to say, but God, I think this would be good. And I think that would be good. I'm not so sure about this. And I'm not sure about... to actually have a conversation with God and reason with him as to what the next step was for our lives. In hindsight, it was a misguided attempt or, or, or desire to be that servant. When God is saying, I don't call you servant anymore. I call you friend. I've told you the stuff that's going to happen. Now, come on, let's have a conversation. I didn't realize God was inviting me into the boardroom of heaven. And can I say, God wants to do the same for every one of us. He's invited us, each one of us, into the boardroom of heaven. It may not be about a city like it was for Abraham. But it might be about your business. It might be about your family. It may not be about a nation as it was for Isaiah. 
but maybe it's about your career or your retirement or your kids. Whatever it is, God invites you into the boardroom of heaven to have a discussion about how he's going to step you into the next chapter of the eternal plan of God for your life. Can I just encourage you, when you pray, get into the place of dialogue with God. You won't necessarily hear a voice. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't, like, I didn't hear a, an audible voice. But I would just kind of reason it out. And I'd feel God shaping that reasoning. I'd feel him say, yeah, but what about, oh, yeah, well, I didn't thought of that. Sometimes it was in conversation, just in prayer with him. Sometimes it was in conversation with my wife. I'd just feel it kind of get shaped here and there. It's not about telling him what to do or saying, God, you're gonna do, I'm doing this and you need to bless it. That's not what it is. That's not how you, how you approach the senior member of the board. It's a conversation with the senior partner of this thing called your life. It's a conversation with him, discussing together the directions and the plans ahead and coming to agreement on the next step. Prayer is the conversation in the boardroom of heaven between business partners. But it's more than that. And this is the second one I wanted to touch on. Prayer is the means by which we enter the divine dance of love. The means by which we enter the divine dance of love. On Thursday night, uh, we went to the um, Faith Academy Masterclass, which was fantastic. Let me tell you, it was great. And I know numbers of people tried to book and it was sold out. I would just say book earlier next time. Uh, like it's just full, like it was packed. And, um, and it was a fabulous night. Uh, as uh, Ashley Crane started to speak about the overview of the Old Testament, he started to touch on something that I, I wanted to talk about today. And he actually gave me a word for it that I, I didn't realize existed. We've talked in the past about how before creation, God was in complete and perfect union of love. That God was, was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, complete in Himself and lacking nothing. That when creation occurred, it was not a Jerry Maguire moment. It wasn't a God looking at us and making us saying, Oh, you complete me. No, He was complete. He didn't need you or I to complete Him. That was not God, it wasn't a need in God's, God's life or in God's existence. Rather, he was complete in himself, lacking nothing. And yet, God chose to create us, that we would become the object of his affection. He chose to create us, that we might become a family. I think late last year, I talked about the family of sons and daughters. And rather than, when you, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a child of God, the Bible says. It uses the Greek word technon, which means like a little baby, an immature child of God. But then as you mature, you become mature sons and daughters of God. Huios, um, uh, you become mature mature children of God. Not babies anymore, but you're mature now. And God's desire is that He would draw us into that place of being mature sons and daughters, that we would have a family of mature sons and daughters. Well, this perfect union of love apparently has a name. I found that out on Thursday night. In the fourth century, a guy named Gregory of Nazianzus. I don't know where Nazianzus is, but Gregory lived there. And he described this union, this perfect union in a Greek word, like the guy couldn't do it in English. He described it in a Greek word, and that Greek word 
is perichoresis. Perichoresis is made up of two words. The first word is peri, from which we get peri-peri sauce. No, we do not. I knew that what you were thinking though. I could see it in your eyes. It's where we get the English word perimeter, as in the perimeter of a circle, yeah? And the second word is chorion, which is the root word to our English word choreography or dance. So the word perichoresis is, is the circle of dance, okay? It's a circle of dance, and it's a, it's a description of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this perfect, eternal circle of pure love, because God is love. And this circle of love, this, this dance of love, speaks of the perfect, concerted movement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always in sync with one another, always in time with one another. This rhythmic movement of the eternal God in sync with each other and complete in this perfect circle, this dance of love. From before creation, we get this picture of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in this perfect dance of love. We see this dance of love taking place in creation as the Spirit broods over the darkness and outworks the desire of the Father by creating all of creation through the Son, for in Him everything was created. We see this dance taking place in the life of Jesus, even at his baptism. We see Jesus being baptized and it says, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. A perfect synchronicity of purpose and function. In the New Testament, we see God dancing with joy and celebration over you. His creation. See, at salvation, when you give your life to Jesus, you are invited into this perfect circle. You are invited into to become part of this dance of love. It was just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But now, through Jesus' death and resurrection, as He has reconciled you to Himself, now, God invites you to participate in this dance of love. He invites you to come in even as it was before creation where Father, Son and Holy Spirit would lavish their love upon one another in this circle. So now they invite you into this dance of love with them and have His love lavished upon you. But can I say this? If salvation is the invitation into this dance of love, prayer is the means by which we enter it. If salvation is that invitation in, prayer is how we engage it. Because as we pray, we begin to align ourselves with the loving and perfect God. We begin to come into this place of, of, of perichoresis. We come into this place where we align the rhythms of our life to the perfect rhythms of God. We begin to participate in the dance in a way that synchronizes our life with the life of Christ. And it's that prayer communication that aligns us with that. Many of you know uh, our daughter is currently living in Sydney. I love my daughter. I've had a relationship with her for 23 plus years. In fact, it started on the 22nd of February in 1999, the day she was born. Our relationship started on that day. She came out screaming. And then it's been me screaming ever since. 
And on that day, she came into our family. She became part of that circle of love. She actually became part of our family and the relationship was started. But can I say, when she picks up the phone now and calls me, when she picks up the phone and talks to me, when she asks for some help, maybe around her car needing a service, or, hey, Dad, I need a hand with the budget. I just, I'm doing a budget. I just need you to give me a hand. You're the budget guy. Come on, get your spreadsheet out. When she picks up the phone just to talk, just to share, Dad, guess what happened today? I built a bridge. It's awesome. You built a bridge? I did. Look, I'll send you a photo. It's so good. She built a bridge. I know. Did she get over it? Very good. I know. It's at that point as we talk, we've got a relationship, had one for 23 years, but now we start to engage the relationship. Because not everyone, let me tell you, it's at that point, she's had a relationship with me for all this time, but it's at that point she actually now participates in the fullness of that relationship. In the same way, prayer is not about getting a relationship with God. There are lots of people that pray that have no relationship with God. Early on a Saturday morning, after a hard night out, oh God, I feel so unwell. Get me out of this and I promise I'll never do it again. They're praying. They're talking to God. It's not necessarily a relationship there. Salvation, salvation gives you that relationship. But prayer is how we engage the relationship and, and, and have our life actually connect with the rhythms of God. It's about participating in that relationship. Prayer is not required for you to be loved by God. God loves you. Even if you don't know Jesus, he still loves you. Prayer is not required for you to be loved of God. You are loved of God. He dances over you. He celebrates you. But prayer is how you begin to participate in that dance of love, how you begin to experience the lavishing of that love of God on your life. Prayer is our gateway to that experience. Does that make sense? It's the means by which you enter the divine dance of love. If I could have the band back, that would be great. It's changed the way I pray. Even to realise prayer is the conversation in the boardroom of heaven between business partners. I talk about my future with God differently now than I did before. And prayer is the means by which you enter the divine dance of love. That's why prayer is so fundamental to the Christian experience. That's why it's so important. And yet it seems to be our biggest struggle. Maybe you're not happy with your prayer life. Maybe you, you know, got straight D's on your pop quiz Whatever. The good news is this. Today, God invites you afresh to participate in that divine dance. God invites you afresh to come into the boardroom of heaven and to begin to reason together with Him. Business people here, not just your boardroom, but come into the boardroom of heaven for God to be able to deal with you around the future of your business family members come into the boardroom of heaven God how do I take my family into that space that we need to be this is the dreams I have for my family the stuff I want to see one day I want to be old and wrinkled and I want them all around me what do I do to make that happen God invites you 
to participate. Can I say, even if you know God, but you don't really engage that relationship with God, maybe you've walked away from Him. Maybe you've turned away. Well, it's unlikely you're an oppressor. It's unlikely you've got blood on your hands. And certainly at that point, God still says to them, come back to me. Let's reason together. Whatever it is you've done, whatever space you find yourself in, God's response to you is, come on, let's reason together. Come on, let's, we can fix that stuff. Let's start to engage again. When you came in this morning, you received communion. The thing I love about communion is that it represents what Jesus did in order to get us into that place of perichoresis. It represents what Jesus did in order to draw you into that place of the dance of love, to give you access to the boardroom of heaven. It represents everything He did in order to say to you, come on, let's, let's talk, let's reason together. This represents that. We're going to celebrate it in a few weeks' time at Easter. And so this morning, what, what, what I want us to do is we're, we're going to take communion in, in just a few moments. But I want us to, to realise what it is that it's saying to you today. But today, this thing is saying to you, even if you've got straight D's on your pop quiz, throw the pop quiz away, let's start again. I feel bad, I feel guilty. Throw guilt away, let's start again. Might be red like crimson, I'll make it white as wool. White as snow. You might feel like, I just, I just haven't really connected into, throw that away, let's start again. That's what His death and resurrection says. I invite you into this relationship. I invite you into this place of just connecting, just engaging. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to stand to our feet this morning. I love what it is that this speaks to us right now. And you might want to prepare yourself. If you don't have communion, I've got a, there's a couple of host team guys just kind of wandering around so they can get one to you. So just let them know. But these guys are going to begin to lead us in worship. And as they do that, they're intentionally leaving space within our worship. There'll be times of singing and there'll be times where it's just kind of a little bit lighter. Where there's space for you to engage that, dance that dance of love with your Saviour. There's space for you just to come in and say, Jesus, I do love you. And I know I haven't necessarily engaged with you the way that I want to. But today I want to make a change today because you died because you rose from the dead I get to make a change and step into this relationship and engage it with you so at some point in time during our worship I'm not going to tell you when you can work it out at some point in time as they lead us I just want you to take of your bread and your cup and I just want you to utter those those words, whatever it is. For some, it's, it's in your business. You haven't engaged the boardroom of heaven or your career or your future. For some, you've had all these plans and you've never really actually brought them to God. He's interested in them. 
He wants to help. He wants, to, he wants to, you to be a part of shaping your eternity, shaping your future. But He's not going to just leave you alone to do it yourself. He wants to be part of it with you. Maybe today's the opportunity for you to say, God, as I take of communion, I'm committing to actually stepping into the boardroom of heaven and talking with you about this stuff. Whatever it is, at whatever point in time, I just want to encourage you to begin to engage in communion.